our Bibles. Would you please find your copy of the Word of God and go with me to the first book of the Bible this morning, the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings. And once you find the first book, find the last chapter. That would be Genesis chapter number 50 in your Bible. Genesis chapter 50. And I'm bringing you to the last five verses of the book of Genesis. The last five verses in the book of Genesis are all about a man by the name of Joseph. How many of you know Joseph? Now, last night, I preached to you a principle from the New Testament about the missing what? About the missing link. This morning, I'm going to show you an Old Testament picture of the New Testament principle. So everything I said here last night about you receiving something and then you passing it on, I'm going to show you in somebody's life this morning. See, this amazing thing about the Word of God, it's all connected. I love the way God connects all of Scripture to teach His truth. Somebody says to me, are you an Old Testament person or a New Testament person? Yes. I'm a New Testament Christian, but I still believe all Scriptures give my inspiration of God and it's profitable. And I love this. That means the truth we learned last night from 2 Timothy is seen all the way back in Genesis chapter number 50. And would you like to know why? Because truth endureth forever. Some things never change. And so, if it was good enough for Joseph and it was good enough for Paul and Timothy, then it's good enough for us. And when you come to Genesis chapter 50, though you've got a famous man, one of the most familiar in all of the book of Genesis, Joseph, you know, his coat of many colors and sold by his brothers into slavery and all along, uh, becomes prime minister, second in command in Egypt. By the time you get to Genesis 50, Joseph is not young. Joseph is old. In fact, he is so old, he is 110. Now, to you, anybody over 20 is old. Isn't that right? So you look at people like me and you think we're really old and Brother Plowman really is old. He's old. He's just old. But the reality is everybody gets old. On the count of three, shout out your age. One, two, three. Add 30 to it right now. Use your fingers, your toes, your nose, whatever you have to do. On the count of three, shout out your new age. One, two, three. That's, think about this. That's what you're going to be before you realize it. Just like that, you're going to be old. Everybody turn and look at your partner just a second. Stare into their lovely eyes. Would you gaze at them a second? You know what you're looking at right now? You're looking at a certified ball of dirt. That's what you're looking at right now. Because God made man of the dust of the ground. <sighs> Breathe in his nostrils the breath of life. Man became a living soul. Ecclesiastes says someday the body's going back to the dust of the ground and the spirit is returning to God who gave it. What happens to dirt? Dirt deteriorates over time. Dirt begins to disintegrate. That's, that, that's what happens to these bodies. So you can work on these bodies. Guys, you can work out, you can run, you can exercise. But I guarantee you, 30 years from now, you will not be as fast as you are right now. Uh, I, I try to run two or three days a week, and I told somebody this week, right now, it's less of a run, and it's more of a jog for Jesus. Anybody feeling what I'm talking about, you know? I'm not setting the woods on fire, not running very fast. Because you, you, your pace starts to slow a little bit. Ladies... You can beautify that hair and use makeup and all these wonderful things and you look lovely. But I'm just going to tell you that looks change with age. And I'm going to stop right there, all right? Because, look please, you're not going to be young forever. 
And I'm not trying to be depressing or morbid. I'm just telling you, you are young and someday you will be old. Watch this, please. And you are deciding right now what kind of person you're going to be when you're old. You don't decide that when you graduate high school. You don't decide that when you go to college. You don't decide that when you get married and have children. No, no. You are making decisions right now that are going to determine how you end. And that's why when you come to Genesis chapter 50, you come to what I think is one of the most powerful passages on the life of Joseph and one of the most neglected. See, everybody sees him in the pit. Everybody sees him in Potiphar's house. Everybody sees him in the prison. Then everybody sees him in the palace. And everybody says, well, what a great story. No, no. If you really want to know about a man's life, don't look at how he starts. Look at how he finishes. Look at Genesis 50, verse number 22. And Joseph dwelt in Egypt. He and his father's house. And Joseph lived in a hundred and ten years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were brought up upon Joseph's knees. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I die. How many think that sounds really encouraging? I die. Everybody look after the word die. Is there a period there, yes or no? Sorry to talk grammar in the summertime, but what comes after die in your Bible? You know what a colon says? A colon says there's more to come. Watch this, please. It says that death is not the end. Everybody lift your head and look at me just for a second. Death is not the end. It's not the end of what God is doing, and it is not the end of you. It's the end of what we see, but he says, I, I'm dying, and... Oh, I love the conjunction. The conjunction is the revelation that the Lord has more. I die and God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land unto the land which is swear to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel saying, God will surely visit you and ye shall carry up my bones from hence. So Joseph died being a hundred and ten years old. And they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Here's a man who is nearer the finish line than he is the starting blocks. It's funny, but early on when I started out preaching to teenagers and I, I looked at those young people, I, I saw myself because I, I went back in my mind to that night as a 12-year-old boy when I surrendered my life to the Lord. And I still do that. I still think that way. Talking to one of these young men last night, surrendered his life to the Lord. I still go back in my mind, but I'm just, I'm just being very personal with you this morning. At this juncture in my life, on the, on the verge of turning 47 next month, I'm starting to think more about how I want to finish than how I started. Because a lot of people start well and do not finish well. The amazing thing about Joseph is that he not only started right, but somehow through this entire period in Egypt, he stayed right. And then, this is wonderful, he not only stayed right, he ended well, and he helped set something in motion that would continue for hundreds of years after his death. Sometimes we call that the ripple effect. I remember as a boy standing at 
my grandfather's farm in West Virginia and tossing rocks. We'd try to skip rocks, but then every now and then we'd take a big rock and we'd throw it right in the middle of the pond and we'd watch and count the number of rings until finally it hit the shore. Do you understand that your one life could make an impact for God right where you are and the ripple effect of that could continue all the way till we get to the shores of eternity someday? You ever line up a bunch of dominoes and knock the first one down and then watch the chain reaction? I, I want you to know that there is a spiritual momentum that grows out of a life that is wholly given to God. Last evening, I talked to you about the missing link. This morning, I want to talk to you about the relay race. It's the same principle, just stated in a different way. But the reality is we all are in a race. For the record, you're not racing against me and I'm not racing against you. Stop comparing yourself with everybody else in the youth group. You're not in a competition against them. You don't have to please everybody. You don't have to impress anybody. In fact, you can't live your life that way. That's a terrible way to live your life. There's only one person that you measure your life by, and that's the Lord Jesus, the one that put you in the race. Because in the end, everybody has their own race. My race is not yours, and your race is not mine, but everybody has their race. Watch, please. And this race is not just about you. It's about what God is doing in this world. It is not just a race. It is a relay race. And there's a world of difference in a relay race. Joseph, it would have been very easy for him to have imagined that it was all about him. He's the man. He's the grand poobah of Egypt. He's in charge. He's the guy when he says jump, everybody says, how high? I mean, this guy is pretty amazing. But listen to me. Even the most powerful people some at some point pass off the scene. Even the, even the great people of, of Scripture that we talk so much about, at some point, they pass off the scene. The question is not what have you accomplished with your life. The question is what have you set in motion? Can I tell you what I'm praying for with my life? See, I'm traveling all the time. Every week, every couple of days in a different place. I don't get to stay in the same place like some people do and watch the fruit of certain things. And I'm content with that. But here's been my prayer. I prayed it this morning. Dear Lord, please somehow use me today to set something in motion that I will meet in heaven someday. May I ask you, what is being set in motion through your life? Somebody came before you, they did their part, they had their time. Now, this is your moment. You must not miss your moment because you will not have it forever. And soon you will pass off the scene and someone will come along behind you. Everybody put your eyes, please, at the end of verse number 24. Would you mark this in your Bible? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Mark it in your Bible. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Who is that? That's his father, his grandfather, and his great-grandfather. About 12 times in Scripture, we read about the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Oh, I love this thought. Do you understand that when you get to Genesis 50, he's not just the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Hallelujah. He has become the God of Joseph. Look at me, kids. Somewhere God has to get real to you. Somewhere, you gotta cross the threshold. This has to become personal. He's gotta be your God. This has to be your Bible. Prayer has to be your means of communication. It has to be your testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ. It is time for you to take the baton and run with it and pass it on to somebody coming along behind you. For too long, we've had youth groups that have entertained kids to the point those young people think it's all about them. It's not all about you. It's all about God. 
And though I'm glad you're having a good time this weekend, this is not about you being entertained. This is about you being enabled to become the person God created you and saved you to become. Because this, my friends, is a relay race. And the very thing about this relay race, it has to be run all the way to the very end. That's why Paul would write in his last letter, I have finished my course. So the writer of Hebrews says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. I'm glad you got started well. Look, you got saved, praise God. You surrendered your life, hallelujah. You're getting basic truths about the Lord, wonderful, I'm glad. But I'm asking you, how are you going to live the rest of your days until you see Jesus face to face? The three truths I want to give you, and they all come from these verses. Would you write them down? These are the things that helped Joseph... To leave something behind of eternal value. Number one, he kept an appreciation for his heritage. I love that. As an old man, he's still talking about his daddy, his granddaddy, and his great-granddaddy. You know what I've discovered? Sometimes you can get so, I don't know, fixated on yourself and your generation. You forget you're not the first people who lived here. You're not the first people who had battles and struggles and problems. A whole bunch of people came on this race before you, and they handed you something. You ought to praise God for the heritage the Lord has given you. The lines are falling to me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. This may sound weird to you, but the older I get, the smarter my parents are. I'm starting to understand some things, young people. See, you've got to live a little while to understand some things. We were talking yesterday, Pastor and I, coming up the road. Do you know one of the dumbest things you can ever do? One of the dumbest things you can ever do is get all your counsel and advice from people who have no more life experience than you have. I see people getting ready to go to college and decide what they're going to do with the rest of their life. And you know who they get their, all their counsel from? They get their counsel from their peers. That's like taking directions from somebody who's not driven any further down the road than you have. You, you understand that the older people that you may think you don't always understand them and you may think they don't always understand you do understand something about God that you need to understand. Yes. People say, ah, generations change. The God's truth doesn't change. Don't ever lose your appreciation for the heritage that God has handed you. I'm going to tell you why I'm standing here preaching this morning. I'm standing here preaching this morning because Roger and Marsha Pauling had a happy Christian home and they taught me something about loving Jesus. I'm standing here because an old farmer in the hills of West Virginia, a coal miner and a Navy man who was never a preacher, who was a shy guy, but who loved Jesus, taught me something about work ethic and, and, and how to live with integrity. Do you understand that the people that came before you are connected to you and to the people who are coming behind you? Keep an appreciation for the heritage God has given you. Some of you bounce from youth group to youth group based on who has the best activities going next week. Let me give you a piece of advice. Why don't you find you a church, and I think you found one, where they love you and teach you the Word of God and anchor your life there and let those people pour into your life. Stop bouncing around everywhere. You commit to something and thank God for the people that are training you. And Joseph, as an old man, is looking back, not talking about himself, but talking about his heritage. This is really interesting. When he's 110 and getting ready to die, he's talking about his great-grandpa. More specifically, he's talking about the God of his great-grandpa. I really like that a lot. Do you understand that everything he knew about God, he learned by the time he was 17? 
And he's going to learn much more in Egypt. But did it ever dawn on you that everything that kept him pure in Egypt, that helped him say no to Potiphar's wife, that helped him live in faith in the prison, somehow had gotten deeply in his heart by the time he was 17 years of age and carried hundreds of miles away from home? Would to God some young men and young women in this room would get something so deeply in their souls that when you go off to college and the youth director isn't checking up on you and mom and daddy aren't looking at your phone and peering over your shoulder, and the pastor isn't asking you how you're doing and it's just you and God you'll be faithful to God because something got real in your soul at some point Joseph had to make those promises his own oh I love this kids that book you got on your lap right now is full of the promises of God promises to you it's not just to your mom and daddy and your pastor and youth director claim the promises of God and live every day in them At some point, he began taking those principles and living them out. The heritage became his. You know how Joseph was rich? Somebody said, yeah, he became prime minister. He got all the goods of Egypt. No, my friend, he wasn't rich because of what he gathered in Egypt. He was rich because of what was handed to him when he was still at home. And the longer you live, the more you're going to realize that the great things in life are not money and stuff, and things you get to do, and even all the friends you have, the great riches is that somebody told you about Jesus and gave you a copy of the Word of God and showed you something about what real faith looks like. The longer you live, the more you're going to go back to the foundation and say, praise God for the privilege I've been given. You keep an appreciation for the heritage God has handed you. Don't criticize it. Don't mock it, don't tear it down, and don't look for something different. You just rejoice that God lets you know the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob and that that God has become your God. The second thing I want you to write down. Not only did he keep an appreciation for his heritage, number two, he stayed holy in a wicked place. The Bible says he lived in Egypt. (laughs) May I just tell you, that was a hard place to live. I've been in Egypt. Years ago, we were there for several days on a ministry trip. It is oppressive. Even to this day, it's oppressive. I personally think the curse of God still rests on the land. Uh, the pyramids were fascinating and the Sphinx. And we took a, took a dinner boat down the Nile River, one of the dirtiest rivers I've ever seen in my life. But I'm going to tell you what I walked away with. That is a tough place. We went to the Museum of Cairo. I'll never forget this. We walked around a corner. We come into a room, and there's three mummified bodies laying next to each other with their heads unwound. You could see their facial structure. You could see all of their hair perfectly preserved. And the, the tour guide kind of flippantly said, these are three of the pharaohs of he- Egypt. And then he said, we're not exactly sure, but one of these two, either this one or this one, was the pharaoh during the time of Moses and the Exodus. And then he moved on, and the group moved on. And I stood there at the foot of those guys looking at those two old boys, and I thought, I don't know which one of you, but one of you had a very hard life to live. Egypt was a tough place. It was wicked and idolatrous and immoral, and I, this is powerful. Joseph lived his entire adult life right in the middle of it and stayed clean. Some of you are thinking, well, if I could just get away from this, God designed it so that you could live a holy life in the middle of Egypt. And all through Scripture, Egypt is a picture of the world. And look, I'm going to tell you something. You're inundated. Pornography on every hand. 
more junk on your mobile device and access to things in any generation in the history of the world. And you can make excuses. You can blame somebody else. You can talk about how weak you are all you want to. But I'm going to tell you, if Joseph could stay clean and pure in Egypt, surrounded by it and inundated with it, you can too, because God Almighty will enable you to do that. How? I would tell you two things. The first is this, that no matter who he was with or who he wasn't with, he remembered God was with him all the time. In fact, that's really the secret of his life. I just wrote a little book on the life of Joseph. You can get it for free if you want to read it. If you go on Apple Books or you go on Kindle, you can just download it. It's called The Lord Was With Joseph. That's not my words. That's God's words. Four times in Genesis 39, it uses that phrase, the Lord was with him, the Lord was with him, the Lord was with him, the Lord was with him. How many saved people are here? Wait at me just a second, would you please? I want you to know, the day you got saved, Jesus moved into your heart. And he, he didn't rent, he buys, and he doesn't move in and out, he moves in to stay. He said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I'm going to tell you, the Lord is with you. The question is not, is the Lord with you? The question is, are you living conscious of his presence? Did you know all the way over in Acts, I think it's Acts chapter number 7, one of the great sermons of the New Testament, the Bible says that he was sold into Egypt, but the Lord was with him. Some of you think everybody's against you, everything's against you, and preacher, you don't know how hard I have it. Well, I'm just going to tell you, you don't have it as hard as Joseph had it, and the Lord is with him, and the Lord is with him, and the Lord is with you. You're going to make it. you got to learn to live every day in the presence of God. It's not in the presence of the youth director that you find victory. It's in the presence of Jesus. The other thing I observed from just reading and studying Joseph's life is that not only, regardless of who he was with, did he live in the Lord's presence, but he remembered that no matter how long he lived in Egypt, that was not his home. And this is really important, so pay close attention. When he died, he told them, don't bury me. How many of you think that's kind of weird? He said, put me in a coffin and just leave the coffin sitting there. Don't bury me. Because when you all leave here, I don't want to be buried here. You carry my bones back to where we belong. Yes. <laughs> this is interesting. Do you ever dawn on you that his coffin sat open in Egypt for 400 years? Imagine for hundreds of years people walked by this coffin and little boys would say to their dad, what is this coffin doing here? Oh, that's Joseph's bones. We're leaving here, and when we leave, he's going with us. You know why that was? Because Joseph was conscious, this is powerful, that though he lived there all of his life, that was not where he belonged. He belonged to a better place. Look, kids, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. I don't care how long you live. Live 110 years. Live 90 years in Egypt. I want you to know, you don't belong to Egypt. You don't belong to this world. Your home is in another place. It's called heaven. Solomon talked about man going to his long home. That's interesting, isn't it? This is your short home. Even if you live like my wife's grandmother did to be a hundred, it will still be like a vapor. It will be your short home. But someday you're going to your long home. What is that? That's eternity. And you've got to live every day conscious of this. God is with me right now, and soon I'm going to be with him forever. It is the only way to stay holy in the midst of a heathen world. If you want to stay clean and pure, you got to live with the knowledge you have God's presence with you now, and you will be in God's presence very soon. In the words of Psalm 23, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So number one, he kept an appreciation for his heritage. Number two, he lived holy. 
in a wicked place. And number three, he kept hope and he gave it to others. Would you mark this in your Bible? In verse number 24, I want you to mark these words, God will. I love that. In verse number 25, mark it again, God will. God will surely visit you. God will surely visit you. Here's a man who's dying, but he's not dying in despair. He's dying in hope. You're living in the most drugged, depressed generation in history. Suicide rates are at all-time high. Everywhere I go, I'm meeting people that say, I don't even know, i got nothing worth living for. Let me just tell you something. If you're still breathing, God's not finished with you, so don't you quit before God is done. Solomon said, a living dog is better than a dead lion. If you're alive, there is still hope for you. And if you're saved, brother, you've got hope for this world and even greater hope for the world to come. If anybody in your school ought to be hopeful, it's the people that know Jesus. Some of you need to stop thinking about how bad the world is and start thinking about how good God is again. I'm going to tell you what we need. We need a good, old-fashioned, heaven-sent revival of hope in the hearts of God's people. I hear people sometimes in youth meetings talk about how bad this generation is. I'm going to tell you, I'm excited. Somebody asked me earlier about this generation of young people that I'm seeing. I'm really excited. You know why? Because in this generation, I'm observing a spiritual hunger and thirst that I haven't seen in a few years. I think there's some young people like the ones in this room today who believe that God is still at work in this world and they want to get in on whatever God has for them. You set your hope in God, not in Egypt, not in what your daddy can do for you, not in what you can produce, not in what circumstances say. You set your hope in the God who will surely keep his word. God always keeps his promises. God always finishes his work, and God is not finished with you. The patriarchs are known as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do you ever think about how different they are? Abraham was the faithful man. That's what Abraham was, the father of the faithful. Isaac was totally different than Abraham. You ought to study his life. You know who Isaac was? Isaac was just kind of an ordinary guy. He never left his country. He never got his name changed like his daddy and his son did. His life is kind of bland. And yet, isn't it interesting God even used him? Then you got Jacob. Who is Jacob? Schemer, trickster, deceiver, liar. (laughs) So you got Abraham, the faithful man, you got Isaac, the ordinary man, and you got Jacob, the weak man, who would have to limp all of his life just to be reminded how weak he really was and how much he needed God. And then you come to Joseph. What title shall we give to Joseph? Let me give him this title today. I believe Joseph was the hopeful man. Even on his deathbed, he's talking about the future. Some of you have already believed the devil's lie. You've already believed his lie. That your best days are behind you, and you really blew it, and you did that one thing, you got this big ugly X on your life, and now God can't bless and use your life. I came to tell you today, there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. You can get past your past, and God always saves the best for last. If you are a child of God, stay hopeful. But don't miss this. He didn't just keep hope. He passed it on. He spoke in confidence to the ones coming along behind him. You know what they need in your school this year? They need somebody to speak with confidence about God. They need somebody to strike a certain tone. 
and say, I'm just going to tell you, I believe God. Young man said to me last night, he said, I'm going to go back to my ball team and back to my school and I'm going to make it clear right up front. I'm going to serve Jesus. And if anybody didn't want it, they can do something else. But if they're going to follow Jesus, that's what I'm going to do. I love that. You need to make up your mind, draw a line in the sand that you're going to begin right where you are to pass on the hope you have in Jesus Christ. Because I'm here to tell you, there's a generation of young people right now who are desperately looking for hope. In Paul's day, they had something called, it was basically the Olympics of their day. It was called the Isthmian Games. They were fascinating. They had chariot races. It was like the NASCAR of the day, you know. They had boxing matches with steel-studded gloves, and they would literally beat one another to death. I mean, that's a fight. But the number one competition in the Isthmian Games was a relay race. They'd have a line of runners here. Off yonder in the distance, you'd see faintly another line of runners, their teammates, and beyond them on the horizon where you could not see now, yet a third line of runners. And this is what was unique about the Isthmian Games relay race. They did not run with a baton in their hand. They ran with a lighted torch. Not only did you have to run, not only did you have to carry the torch, watch this, you had to keep the fire burning and you had to pass it burning to the person coming along behind you. In fact, it became such a thing in the culture of the day, they actually coined a little colloquial expression from it and they said this, let him who has the light pass it on. How many of you know God's given you some light? Well, I want you to know, God wants you to carry it And God wants you to pass it on. 30 years from now, if Jesus lets us live and tears is coming, I think the Lord's coming soon, but if the Lord gives us another 30 years, many of you, you're going to be moms and dads, and you're going to have a teenager somewhere sitting in a youth meeting. And I know that blows your mind. You find that hard to believe. But let me just ask you a question. What kind of life you want then? What kind of man you want to be, fellas? Ladies, what kind of home would you like to have? What would you like your kids to think of your Christianity 30 years from now? Because you're choosing that right now. Next week, our oldest daughter, Morgan's 24 this year. And of the three, frankly, she was the one that I had the most concerns about. She was never outwardly rebellious, but she just the most analytical and, and uh, free-spirited and, and stubborn. She said to me one day, she said, I just want you to know, Dad, I'm not going to be in the ministry. I said, okay, that's fine. She said, no, I'm serious. I'm not going to be in the ministry. I said, I heard what you said. You don't be in the ministry. If that's what the Lord wants, great. If not, no problem. She said, yeah, but I'm just telling you right now, I'm not going to be in the ministry. I said, I heard what you said. She teaches in a Christian school and is married to a preacher now. God has a sense of humor, you know. She went through a period when she was about 16. It lasted about a year. It was awful. It was, it was awful as a parent. I was traveling, preaching, and, and she went through a period where she started doubting everything. Started with doubting her salvation. And then, how do we know the Bible's true? How do we know there's really a God? How, why do we know believing in Jesus is right? And, and on and on and on. And it was like her whole world just started coming unraveled, and she couldn't sort her way through it. I still remember that season, how we prayed, Dear God, please. Breakthrough in her life. And by the way, the Lord did. In an amazing way. 
I was in a hotel room one day and I flipped on, sitting by myself, I flipped on social media and Morgan had made a post. She hardly ever posted anything. And it was a big, long post. And I thought, dear Lord, what is it now? And I started reading and I wept. And she said, I, I've just come through a season in my life where I wondered if there even was a God. And she said, but I want you to know God has done something in my heart. She's posting this publicly. And as a dad, I sat there and wept because it wasn't my faith. It had become her own. And next week, God willing, she's going to give us our first granddaughter. I'm going to be a papa. I'm really excited about this thing. And I'm realizing now, it's a relay race. It's not about what you can get, young people. It's about what you get to leave behind you. My grandpa, Paulie, was an old-timey preacher. Just kind of country and no education and raw bone, leather lung, screaming holler. Had an old gospel tent. Started several churches. I was preaching a revival meeting in a church a few years ago, and a guy came out. I, I didn't realize it when I went there, but that church I was preaching revival in, my grandfather had started out of a tent meeting. Guy came out, old fella. He said, did you know your grandpa? I said, no, sir. I said, did you know him? He started crying. He said, I didn't just know him, son. He said, he led me to Jesus. He said, he baptized me in a pond out behind the church. He started laughing. He said, you know those words you preachers say when you baptize people? I said, yeah, I know those words. He said, he must have been practicing because he held me under a long time that day. My grandpa died when he was 57. My dad went to the hospital to get his things They gave him my grandfather's wallet, and Dad opened it up. It had three pennies in it. They started checking. That's all the money he had. He died with three pennies to his name. My dad said to all of his siblings, don't argue over the inheritance. I'm keeping all of it. And he did. He kept all three pennies of it. And they're taped in the family Bible at my dad's house. And every time I look at those three pennies, you know what I think about? That's not what he left us. Somebody said, that's all he left? No, that's not what he left. You know what he left? He left a testimony of faith in God. He left me a confidence about who Jesus is. He, he left me an example of prayer and preaching the word. He, he left me something. Hey, young people. So go ahead. Go to college and get you a big job. Build a big house and buy a new car. Get all the junk you think is going to make you happy and what everybody else is after. But when you come to the end, like Solomon, you'll say it's all vanity and vexation of spirit. Joseph is not great because of what he got in Egypt. He was great because of what God put into his life and what he left behind for the generation following. Welcome to the relay race. Would you bow your head with me for just a moment?